this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. everyone welcome back to another episode of friends from work this is a podcast about all things in the marvel cinematic universe and it's hosted by me kyle sconowell and my longtime friend robbie earl robbie welcome to friends from work how are you today man i am good i love i love being back on an episode of Friends from Work. It's like a safe space. <laughs> That's like our running joke now, three weeks in a row, I think. <laughs> Which I love. When when all else is uh is is unpredictable craziness, um, as life has been lately, um, there's always friends from work, you know. Robbie just told me off air before we started this that you always tell me you're busy, but you said this is probably the busiest I have ever been in my life, hands down. So that's the context <laughs> of today's episode. And yet he's making time for little old me, which I love so much. Oh, man. Well, there's a lot of fun stuff to make time for today. So today is extra special because we got a chance to talk with John Paisano, who, if you don't know who that is, you probably haven't been listening to our podcast for very long. And that's okay. But the reason we're talking to him today is because of not only his work on Daredevil, not only his work on Miles Morales' video game, but also his work on the Spider-Man PS4 video game, which everyone on this podcast knows how obsessed we are with that <laughs> game. So it was an absolute, absolute pleasure. And so, Robbie, today, if you don't mind, I quickly just want to knock out a few what's new in the MCU things here, a few important housekeeping things for our listeners before we dive in that interview. Yeah, let's hit it. So, as you know, this is a big week for Marvel. On Tuesday, a couple days ago, if you're listening to this on Thursday, Spider-Man No Way Home officially came out available for purchase digitally. So, congratulations. You can't rent it, I don't yes. think yet, but you can buy it. I'll have to test it soon. Well, and, you know, I'm really glad that this all came together. We've been working closely with Sony on this, and... uh we were originally, you know, we had decided <laughs> together that the film was going to come out next week. And we were, yeah, as part of our Saga So Far rewatch, again, of right. course, we've been kind of in conversations with Sony and Amy Pascal. And she was like, can we just do it a little bit earlier? <laughs> right. And we pushed back initially and they were like, oh, well, you know, totally up to y'all. But then we gave in <laughs> and they decided to put it out a week earlier. And, you know, we decided that we would have our... Saga so far, Spider-Man No Way Home rewatch party a week earlier. So wow. this is 
This is an exciting day in a lot of ways, Kyle, because not only do we get to talk about John Paisano's excellent Spider-Man music, uh, not only do we get to announce that we're having our Loki rewatch on Thursday night like we have been, but we get to announce that Friday, the day after our Loki rewatch, right after the multiverse opens wide, we're going to get to watch Spider-Man No Way Home for the first time in our living rooms as a Friends From Work community. So if you are listening to this and you have not watched No Way Home yet, hold off one more day because we're going to have a lot of fun watching that tomorrow as a Friends From Work crew. Well, I'm glad Sony was willing to be flexible on that. How nice of them. Um, oh, yeah, so man, they're ju- great. Just to make sure we're not confusing anyone, Tuesday, Spider-Man No Way Home was available digitally. Wednesday was the first day that Daredevil and a few of the other Marvel Netflix shows came to Disney Plus, which is kind of a crazy thing for Disney Plus. There's been a little bit of pushback on how graphic the content is being on Disney Plus, but it's kind of a new era in that way, bringing that over. And so if you've been listening along to our Daredevil breakdowns on Friends from Work Plus or just listening to us referencing so much, you can now watch it on Disney Plus as of yesterday. But then not only that, Robbie, then you have today, Thursday, this episode where we talked with John Pizzino about his work on Daredevil. Tonight, then, we're watching Loki finale together. Yep. FFW saga so far. And then tomorrow is Spider-Man No Way Home, FFW saga so far. So, yikes. Perfect week to add to Robbie's busyness. (laughs) I should say also while we're talking about the saga so far rewatch, um, we have a winner to announce for last week's Eternals oh, rewatch, which let's do it. was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I want to talk about it in, in a quick second um, after this. But our winner of the first volume of Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribix, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, Eternals comic, which is incredible, by the way. I don't often recommend ongoing runs for, uh, for characters because it's sometimes kind of hard to gauge. But this one is really, really excellent. Uh, Kieran Gillen's one of the more interesting comics writers out there, and Ribic is maybe one of my favorite artists. So um, I'm excited about this, excited that we get to give this volume to oh. Twitter user Universal Inhuman. Okay. Don't have a full name. <laughs> that's his that, that's his handle. Gave some great commentary the other night. Was one of the the many folks that that joined in. So that's the name we pulled out of our collective friends from work hat. If you are listening, uh, reach out to us or we will direct message you shortly and get you the comic that you've won. So congrats. Let's go. That's so much fun. It is fun. So just to keep people up to date here, we are almost all the way through rewatching all of phase four. We've done WandaVision. We've done Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We did Spider-Man Far From Home, Shang-Chi, Eternals last week. And then as Robbie said, it's Loki tonight. It's No Way Home tomorrow night. And then Hawkeye next week. And then we'll be caught up just in time for Moon Knight, which I'm bringing that up, Robbie, because... To add to the craziness of the week, your boys, Robbie and Kyle, friends from work, are getting to see a few of the episodes of Moon Knight this week. So come next week, we will have seen those episodes, and we're going to give you a little preview, spoiler-free, of course, 
on what our initial reaction to those episodes was. Not to mention, we're also attending the press conference next week. So we'll have a little more background info. I always enjoy doing that, hearing from the actors, getting a chance to ask them some questions um, to help inform our Moon Knight experience. What I've been hearing is is very positive thus far. Man, I... I'm as excited for this show as I think I've been for a Disney Plus show, which it sounds kind of crazy. I mean, there was a lot of buzz for WandaVision. It's hard to separate out the buzz for WandaVision before it came out from just, oh, we're getting new MCU content. And then obviously once WandaVision came, as we've said kind of ad nauseum, it was incredible. But even like the really high points – um, with Loki and and as much as I loved parts of Hawkeye, like I I don't think I've been this excited. Period. Yet I'm just this show is like really getting me getting me revved up. So what a week! Once we see that man, we're only a week away from launching into weekly coverage of that show, and then once we start that, I'm 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 pretty sure we're going to dive right into Doctor Strange stuff mixed in there as well. So it's going to be crazy. And I think there's actually a few fun things we can do with Moon Knight because unlike Spider-Man, unlike Hawkeye, unlike even WandaVision, Moon Knight is a character that we both don't know as much about. You're catching up on the comic side of things. And I know literally nothing, literally nothing. It's like Daredevil all over again. So I think it's going to be a fun perspective for people because it's a fresh entry into the MCU for us. So we can really reflect on who is Moon Knight as a character in the comics. And -hmm. that will be my first time hearing it. And we can really reflect on, well, who are they portraying Moon Knight to be in the show as well? So I'm with you. I'm really looking forward to it. I I think what's going to be so interesting about that to piggyback on what you just said is the, the normal, I'm not, I'm not going to say this is across the board, um, consistent, but I would say the standard comics character, when you ask, who is this in the comics, you can kind of look back to their origin and pretty easily sum up who this person is. Like Spider-Man, you can hand someone Amazing Fantasy 15 and they come away with a pretty good understanding of who the Spider-Man character is to where if they just read that comic and then watched any Spider-Man film, they would kind of get the translation but I think what's interesting about Moon Knight is is the character has changed so much under different writers and artists over the years, like really changed in a way that I think allows this creative team on the show, including Oscar Isaac, because everything I've read, everything I've heard really suggests that he has gone headfirst into the weeds with this, like really worked out exactly what he wants the character to be. Mm. So I think he can take this really fragmented comics history and maybe more so than with any other character, pull what he wants, leave what he doesn't. You know, obviously the rest, not saying that's all Oscar Isaac, but I think that it it just creates a, a, a really unique kind of like artistic launching pad, I think. Right. Um, you know, without trying to overstate it. And that's one of the things I can't actually wait to hear from him directly at the press conference. Honestly, I'm excited to hear what he pulled from to develop that character. Two last bits of news here. Two last things of what's new in the MCU. William Hurt, director Thaddeus Ross passed away this week, man. He died on Sunday of this week. I think of cancer, Robbie, um, yeah. which is just too bad. It's, it's sad. He, 
someone shared his reel, and obviously he's an award-winning actor that's been in a ton of movies, but at this point, he's been in like six or seven MCU entries, which is pretty wild. So yeah, he died at age 71. Whenever someone dies, it's always kind of weird because there's the loss of the actor, but also the loss of the character. And as far as I know, the last time mm-hmm. we left director Ross was in infinity war when he tells captain America to turn himself in, I think, right. That's the last, I know we saw him in black widow, but that was in the MCU timeline earlier right. on. Um, is I that think, the last does he show him? up at, I think he showed up at Tony Stark's funeral in Endgame. Oh, correct. You are so right. He is there for sure. So it'll be interesting to see how they address that now in the films. And I should right. also say that it is very sad. Anytime you lose a life, I know that since he's passed, some stories have resurfaced about him being abusive, I think, to his his wife or his ex-wife. And so Mm. I don't know anything about his personal character. Um, And so that's always a weird, you know, that's always a weird spot to be in, you know? Right. Because you are mourning the loss of an actor, but I don't know him as a person at all. Sure. But no, it's that was definitely a a blow this week. Um, William Hurt had a prolific career uh, and a very impressive career as an actor. So if nothing else, that's a, that's a loss to the, to the film industry. Well, and then Robbie, my last bit of business here before we hear from John, which was such a good conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, I have one leftover from our Batman episode last Thursday, and this is totally spoiler free. So this has nothing to do with the plot. So you don't have to turn this off if you haven't seen the Batman, but Robbie, I think I forgot to give Matt Reeves the credit he deserves. And this is totally just my fault. I posted a story about this on TikTok at the FFW podcast and on Instagram at the FFW podcast. But dude, for some reason, this just slipped my mind. I Googled Matt Reeves and I did not realize some of the films he's worked on. (laughs) And that's again, totally Uh my bad. And I don't know how I missed that, but he did the last two planet of the apes films And he was a producer on 10 Cloverfield Lane. So he didn't direct that movie, but that's in my top Uh 15 favorite of all time. I was just going over this with some friends. And I was like, how did I not know that he was involved in that? I know he was also involved in the first Cloverfield, which was so unique Uh at the time and how they marketed it and everything. And those last two Planet of the Apes movies are no joke, guys. Like if you think I'm being funny, dude, the, the reboot of the Planet of the Apes is awesome. In my opinion, that trilogy is excellent. So between him working on that trilogy, him working on the Cloverfield stuff, man, he's getting on my short list of, of directors that I'm going to look at every time he puts a movie out now. Like he's on right. that shorter list. And that's my bad for not bringing that up in the episode. Well, and and I mentioned this on the Slack, but Planet of the Apes, also a uh, powerhouse Matt Reeves, Andy Circus combo. Oh, yeah. Because Andy Circus did the mocap for um, the main ape if you will, in Planet of the Apes. Caesar, apes, together, strong. Yes. (laughs) Dude, some good movies there. So. Kyle's Movie Club, question mark? Oh, might have to. I need the next film in the movie club to be a donut a little bit more. I think I'm I'm ready for a lighthearted one (laughs) just because we've done Parasite and Arrival and now it's time to like lighten it up a little bit. Um, So maybe, uh, I, I need to start making a list of these directors that I'm really into. I know a lot of our listeners know a few of those names on the list already, but there's a few other names right. where I'm like, okay, you've made like three or four pretty legit movies. It's time for Kyle to be paying attention. So 
Okay, but yeah. today is extra special because, as I said, we got a chance to talk with John Paisano. And boy, like I said, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I'm a fan of what he's done with Daredevil and both of the Spider-Man video games. And you and I have talked on this podcast about how do we get him into the MCU? It's time for him to get a crack at one of these Marvel movies. And so I actually ask him about that a little bit coming up here. So I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation, even if you're not into the music side of things, because he's he gives us a few interesting tidbits about the process of making Daredevil and the process of Daredevil coming over to Disney Plus and what that looks like. And maybe even a few tidbits on what he's doing with Spider-Man 2. Oh. Ooh, man. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation after a quick word from these sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. All right, everyone, please welcome to Friends from Work, composer extraordinaire, John Pizzino. John, welcome. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. What an honor this is. If you scoured our podcast, John, you mm-hmm. would find that you are not going to find bigger fans of what you do than us do <laughs> right here. So this is truly a dream come true. So thank you. Awesome. No, thank you. Appreciate it. I, I should clarify. Uh, Kyle and I started this podcast in 2019. And uh, we started out talking exclusively about the MCU. The first episode we ever did not about the MCU was Kyle raving about the Spider-Man <laughs> PS4 video game, specifically raving about your score for the Spider-Man PS4 video game. <laughs> so this is a long time coming. Uh, we are yeah. very, very excited to have you here. Well, John, here's where I want to start with Daredevil. Yeah. Because as of yesterday, Daredevil is officially on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, so I, I need you to kind of rewind here. Take me back to 2015, 2014, where you were at when you got that project, and specifically what went through your head crafting that theme. Hmm. Well, the the original, the theme was actually developed as a demo that I had done. So the initial showrunner on Daredevil season one was, um, was a guy named Stephen tonight, who I've done a lot mm-hmm. of work with before in the, you know, we, we had done, we had worked on kind of some proof of concept stuff that he was working on. And so we kind of made a relationship that way. And um, Daredevil was something that he kind of signed on to do. And you know, it was a, it was at that point, I really hadn't done a ton of stuff. You know, I think I want to say it was before it was before Maze Runner. I think the only thing I was really kind of doing at the time was I was doing a how to train your dragon series for cartoon network. So it was like mm-hmm. one of my earlier projects 
Um, and I had been in the business for a while, kind of in the shadows, doing support work for a lot of other composers around town, things of that nature. And it, the opportunity came up and I was like, hey, Stephen, I'd love to throw my hat in the ring for this. And there was kind of a auditioning process that went along with it, whereas, you know, they kind of had like a short list of, you know, four or five composers. And one of the scenes that we had to write to was that kind of infamous hallway fight sequence that lasted mm. for. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it wasn't, I, I, if I remember correctly, I don't think it was the whole fight sequence, but it was, it was part of it. And that the actual daredevil theme um, was kind of originated out of that sequence. And mm. that, that was, um, it kind of got me the gig. So it, it actually, it actually worked out really well, but huh. yeah, it was a, it was a tricky show just because it was kind of the first Marvel show that they had done where they kind of broke that mold, you know, like Marvel mm -hmm. was, was always, I don't want to say safe, but it was exactly what you kind of thought it was going to be. It was bright. It was happy. It was fun. It, you know, always with, you know, a lot of comedy kind of involved with them. And then here came the show that was a lot more grounded. It was dark. It, it had a lot more edge to it than most of the other Marvel properties. And I think, you know, it definitely kind of, I think it stuck out, you know, you throw that Marvel logo on something and then you had a show like that, which it felt, you know, a lot darker. And I think that really kind of gave it its own voice in that universe. So it was a real kind of fun show to be part of just because um, Marvel and Netflix kind of worked together on that show. And they, they allowed like all the creatives working on it to really kind of put our own stamp on it. So it was a lot of fun to, to work on those kind of initial phases of that show. Is it kind of exciting for you to watch this show have a second life a little bit now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I mean, it's just being, it's such a popular show, you know, and even though it's hasn't been on, you know, quote unquote, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been in production for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. It's still amazing how many new fans kind of come out of the woodwork and I'll get pinged all the time from people saying how much they love the show or how much they love mm -hmm. the score. And it feel, I feel like it's kind of had, it's had a long life, even though it, not, it hasn't necessarily been in production um, for a couple of years now. And, and it was, and it was fun too, because every single season that we did, they kind of brought in like a new creative team um, to a degree. Mm -hmm. And each, each season has its kind of own identity. And, and obviously the mains and the, the main characters kind of kept the storyline kind of somewhat glued together, but the shows definitely did have different feels to it, you know? So season one was its own thing. Season two had a definitely a different feel to it. And then season three um, had its, and I it, listen like that show would keep going today, but I think there was just with, with Netflix and, and Disney starting their own thing and, and then right. wanting to kind of pull their IP, you know, off of, um, you know, I don't know, pull it off of Netflix, but they, they wanted to kind of, you know, bring their own pee into their own, into their own world when it, as far as like a streaming situation went, I think that's honestly the only reason why we kind of lost production on that show, just because it was all contractual and, and politics. Right. So um, it was definitely by, I, I think that show would still be, you know, going strong today if it wasn't for all that. So it was kind of a casualty of, of the business. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's funny. I watched every season um, as it came out and Kyle actually just recently got to go back and, and watch the show. Yeah. And after season three, I, I told him, I was like, now imagine that came out and then 
immediately the show gets canceled and how just enraged you would be and you can put yourself in my position yeah I'm <laughs> sure yeah a lot of i think a lot of the fans definitely it was like a it was like a gut punch you know right it's funny i there's a lot of projects i had a lot of projects that were kind of wrapped up in that whole you know there was a lot you know the business kind of went through this massive change in the last couple of years and and obviously with COVID, it was kind of a, the business was already changing a lot. And then COVID came and it was kind of like an accelerator of stuff that was already changing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was doing a film with with uh, the my director that I worked with on all the Maze Runner stuff, West Ball. And I was, we were working on a film called Mouse Guard. And it was this really mm-hmm. incredible animated, you know, mocap film that, you know, had a great cast, really, really cool story. We were like a week away from production and the plug got pulled on it because uh, oh. Disney, Disney just didn't want to, you know, the when they purchased Fox, it was originally with Fox. And then when Disney bought 20th uh, Century Fox and they kind of shelved it. But there, there was a, there was a lot of projects, not just stuff that I worked on, but it's amazing how many projects got kind of like, you know, casualties of, of the business just kind of turning upside down from a distribution standpoint. Um, and there's kind of like a, been a great realignment. And I think in the long run, it's going to be a good thing just because there's, you know, there's, the, you know, these all these studios and all these channels and all these subscription-based services, they just need so much content. So there's a lot of cool stuff being created, but there was a lot of casualties as well, like when that was happening. So um, Daredevil, to a degree, I think, fell victim to a little bit of that kind of change in the atmosphere. Talking specifically about the music nitty gritty here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love the last track on season one of Daredevil where you take the main title theme, but it's the mm-hmm. first time you kind of change a few of the chords. It's got the orchestra instead. Yeah. Take yeah, yeah. That a little bit. Just first of all, I just compliment you, but then just tell me a little <laughs> bit about. It. I need to hear more. Well, we want to, you know, we like the main, like the main title, you know, the tough thing about main titles is they're so short, you know what I mean? And you kind of, yes. you you kind of get a, a relatively short amount of time to kind of express it. So I felt mm-hmm. like I want to say, I can't remember now, but I think it was the last episode. We wanted to kind of take the main title and kind of shoot it up with steroids, you know, and, and mm-hmm. give it kind of more of a, a bigger cinematic approach. Whereas like the original main title was definitely a little darker, a little more subdued, a little more, you know, it kind of oozed, you know, is like the word that I'll use for it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just, and, and when you look at the, I mean, it was written obviously for the visuals that you're seeing for the main title, you know, the, Uh and it was so specific to that. And so we kind of wanted to juice it up a little bit and it was fun to kind of, you know, infuse a little bit more of that orchestral sound into it and kind of give it some size. Well, what a cool moment it is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, season season three was awesome. I mean, season three was really, you know, um, Eric Olson, who was the showrunner on it, mm-hmm. like really did a good job of like, you know, taking that storyline. But I think he he definitely like viewed it more as like almost like an espionage thriller, you know, mm-hmm. versus like a superhero, yeah. you know, um, property. And so like we he really pushed everybody to kind of 
you know, let's try to be as like, you know, as smart and witty as we could with a lot of the stuff. So there's a lot, I mean, there's, there's cues in, in, in episode three that are very filmic, you know, and they're, they're not as, you know, they're, they're almost more drama. It's almost more drama mm-hmm. than it is superhero, you know? And so it was fun to really kind of reinvent the palette a little bit for that season. And, and um, you know, it was great. We, you know, we recorded all those, we recorded all those series. We did it all live. We did it right. You know, we did it, you know, nothing was really in the box. Mm. Um, we were able to really, you know, hire live musicians and players, you know, and, and just kind of do it, give it kind of like a proper film score. And I think it really shows on screen. Well, as, as John can see um, on video here, I've got my, <laughs> my various John Paisano vinyl uh, yeah. collection, <laughs> which includes um, the, uh, the Defenders yeah, yeah. music, um, which I am a huge fan of your, of your score there. And yeah. I, I think that can often get lost because, you know, I think Daredevil is generally, known as a, as a better received show. And, and I just yeah. don't think people pay a lot of attention to defenders in the same way, but I find myself, it's so funny. The reason I have all these scores is I I'm, I'm a lawyer uh, by day and write briefs to uh, music, uh, to <laughs> film and, and TV music. And um, I find the ones that I gravitate towards the most are uh, your defender score and the Miles Morales score, which we'll, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about at the end of the episode. Um, so I just wanted, before we lost the, Netflix thread to let you know that I'm a really, really big fan of, of what you did there as well. Yeah, no, Defender, Defenders was, the thing that was so tricky about Defenders was we had all those characters and they obviously each had a musical identity to them, but because the nature of the show, it was so hard to kind of, oh, let's, you know, we'll jam Jessica Jones theme in here and then we'll jam the Daredevil theme in here and then, mm-hmm. you know, we'll deal with the Luke Cage theme here. I mean, you just couldn't, it was too chaotic, so we tried to figure out a way to kind of score them as a group versus kind of scoring them each individually, if that makes sense. I mean, it would mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's very easy to kind of get that, you know, you can kind of get themeitis where you're just overusing right. themes so much that it all of a sudden, it, it just starts sounding like random music, you know what I mean? And there's no kind of single through line that's connecting all these characters. So we really, mm-hmm. you know, the idea was we really wanted to try to aim to, kind of give them their own sound and kind of give them their own world. And um, it was, it was a creative choice to, you know, one of like the first things we had to decide to do was God, how do we want to handle, you know, all these different characters that they all had strong themes and they all had strong musical scores. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do we, you know, you know, we, we tried to, we, as much as we could, we tried to kind of tip the cap to some of them, but it was just, we kind of made the conscious choice to like, let's, but instead of just trying to incorporate everyone's theme all the time, let's just let's just try to create our own score for this story kind of being told with all these characters versus let's just, you know, write, write, you know, use their themes when they're right. on screen type of thing. So it was um it was a cool approach. And I think it I think it worked out well. But uh, again, it was like, you know, credit to Marvel and and Netflix. They really they really let us approach these scores like they were you know like they were like they were films and not and then you got to remember too like this is before mandalorian and before these big you know episodic right. winter soldier and stuff like it was you know to get a live score on an episodic series like this is a it's a little bit of a, a challenge politically you know to try to sure. get people to sign off on this stuff and to get people to it's expensive you know it's it's expensive it takes planning and commitment and studios 
you know, generally want to have a lot of control over scores and, and have, you know, want to give a lot of notes and changes. And when you do a live score, you have to kind of commit and say like, okay, well, this is what we're going to be recording and that's it, you know? So, right. um, so it was cool. And I think it shows in the music. Oh yeah, de- definitely. Shifting gears a teeny bit here. Yeah. What is different for you, for a composer between writing something for film TV, like you're talking about and a video game? That's a good question. I, you know, it's interesting. I personally think that writing music for video games is more of a, it's more of a old school approach, believe it or not, than writing Mm. for film. And I'll, and I'll, I'll give you my reasons why the, when you're writing music for video games, you're writing, you're, you're not necessarily writing the picture, you know, you're kind of writing at the same time as they're building the game. So it's not like, you know, with film and, and, you know, you usually start off. I mean, I try never really honestly to start off writing the picture and that's a bigger conversation. Um, And it kind of, it kind of goes to what I'm about to say about how writing for video games is different when you're, like I said, when you're writing the video games, you aren't necessarily working with picture. You're, you're writing based off of creative briefs. You're writing based off of artwork, uh, story, obviously, and you 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 basically write suites to begin. You know, you say like, mm. okay, well, we have we have this character, Peter Parker. He's a little bit more. You know, this is like I'll talk with you know the director Brian about Spider Man One. He'll say like, you know, we have Peter Parker. He's a little bit more aged up. He's 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 a he's not like a high school Peter Parker. He's a a little more edgy. He's blah blah. You know, he gives me mm. all these kind of bullet points about the character. And he'll get really in depth about story and what he's going through in his life and, you know, all these different things. Hmm. And then he'll say, go ahead, go away and and write me something based off of these conversations that we have. And maybe he'll include some, you know, some artwork of the city and the different stages of the city as it's going through the different phases. And like all these things, but remember, like none of this has to do with picture. It's just, it's all just about story and talking and, and it's great. Like, you know, when, you know, John Williams was working on Star Wars. It's not like in 1977, it's not like he opened up a QuickTime video and put it in his timeline <laughs> and started writing, right? I mean, it's more of a, you know, he probably sat with, you know, Lucas and they talked about the story and the characters and the force and the different themes and all these things. And it's a very similar process because they just didn't have the technology back then like we do today to just sit down and throw a QuickTime in a timeline and start putting in markers and, and you know, mapping out hit points. Um, you had to really kind of come at these scores from a story approach. And I think it shows in the music, you know, I mean, it's, it's why those, it's why John Williams themes are just so amazing. I mean, you can tell he just absorbs those characters with music and, and really defines them with music. And it's, and, it, and then, you know, it's the same thing, kind of like what we did with the video game stuff. You, we aren't writing anything to visuals. We're just kind of doing it all from conversations and imagination. So what we do is we define all these themes and we define, you know, we'll I'll write a five to 10 minute long Peter Parker suite. And in that there'll be different instrumentation ideas, different motifs, uh, different, you know, ostinatos, rhythm ideas, all these different things. And they're like around 10 minutes long. And then I'll present that to Brian and say, Hey, after a conversation, this is what I was, this is kind of what I thought of for Peter Parker. And then we listen to that and we say like, Oh man, you know, like, minute two to three is perfect. You know, this sounds like exactly what I would think it is, but I don't know, this minute's like five to seven are a little weird. I don't see it kind of fitting in my world, you know? And so like, Mm. you kind of like, you have to kind of figure out what doesn't work before you figure out what works, you know? And then once I kind of isolate down some of these ideas and these things that he likes, then I'll start getting more into the nitty gritty of getting it against picture, getting it against, you know, gameplay, 
um, seeing how it works and, and, and how it kind of all comes together. I mean, and sometimes it's, it, sometimes it's magic and it works perfectly. Like other times, you know, I remember when I was working on Maze Runner with Wes, like Wes is a huge John Williams fan. I'm a huge John hmm. Williams fan. He loved Jurassic Park. And he was like, oh, you know, we got these, you know, big walls out in the wilderness. These kids don't know what's outside of the walls. And, you know, we can like replace the walls with that. Like Jurassic Park would sound like incredible in this. And, blah, blah, and we were like thinking of all these ideas of like how great that would sound. But then we, I remember like I wrote the initial suite for Maze Runner, um, and he like loved the main title part of it. But then I like went into this kind of like John Williams, fantastical Jurassic mm -hmm. Park vibe and it just didn't work. You know what I mean? So like sometimes you think something's going to work really well, but it just didn't have the mystery. Mm -hmm. It didn't have any of the edginess that we kind of needed, I think, for some of those characters in the original Maze Runner. And it just wasn't the right vibe. Um, and so like sometimes you think you have the greatest idea in the world and you kind of go through these the sweet development and then you you realize like, oh, once you put it up against frames, it had, it takes on a kind of a, a different attitude and a different meaning. So, um, mm. but again, it's like, it's kind of an old school approach to how they used to score films. Cause like I said, they just didn't have the technology like we have today to be able to, you know, it's so, I see a lot of young composers these days and they just cut, they like get picture and like throw it in their timeline and start working out ideas against picture. And I think like working against picture, I think is like one of the worst places for theme development, just because, you know, you have to be conscious of so many things happening with picture, you know, there's dialogue, mm. there's sound effects, there's, it's just not a great experimenting grounds for musical ideas, you know, like, yeah. it's very hard, it's, it's very, you. it's very easy to get functional with film music when you're writing the picture right. versus musical, you know, so um, I always like starting away from picture and then trying to, you know, reverse engineer it into picture after I come up with my character themes and Mm -hmm. and and different ideas from like a holistic it's also easy to compartmentalize scores when you write it that way you know you, you oh i'm gonna write one-on-one -on -one. it's this scene right because that's the way we organize our sessions you know you mm -hmm. you open up a cubase session just from a technical standpoint and you say like oh this is going to be one-on-one -on -one. and you start writing for that sequence you know and oh this is one m2 and you open up a new session for that sequence so you can compartmentalize mm -hmm. the score and you lose kind of the big picture approach to things so i like working in these suites where you kind of have you know, you're writing a symphony for the movie, you know, you're not writing for scenes, you're writing for the movie, you know, or you're writing for the game. And sometimes these big suites kind of have, uh, you know, they blend themselves better to kind of a more of a holistic approach to the score. You didn't just write music for any video game, right? It's kind of, interesting. <laughs> you had to write the theme for a very recognizable character that had had multiple, multiple yeah. of its theme, right? Like you have Danny Elfman, you got Michael Giacchino, you got Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love all of it, but Robbie knows I'm such a big fan of the. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So, congrats to you. You may have the best <laughs> Spider Man theme that's ever been written.
no, I mean, it's Don, you know, when you have guys like that, you know, who've written all those great, I mean, you know, they've, they're all, I mean, I listen to some, I mean, I listen to some of Chris Young stuff for the third one. I'm just like, oh my yeah, God, yeah. Like the Sandman stuff's incredible. You know, there's, we just, talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many great iterations of the Spider-Man stuff. And they're all very, they're all kind of different movies and different properties. And mm-hmm. it's funny with, with our Spider-Man, that's like the way I originally got kind of, um introduced to the game and the way i had i had been trying for years to get into video game music i just couldn't break mm. it like i just couldn't i just i begged and please you know i begged and begged my please find me a video game because i'm a huge gamer and i've been a gamer my whole life and oh, i've always, nice. I always yeah and I, i've always just wanted to kind of get into it and, and just be part of that world and i just i had a, the hardest time but daredevil actually believe it or not out of all things it's funny i just scored like you know series and movies before i was able to even consider for video games have you played through spider-man yeah 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 it's unbelievable. It's yeah no it's a fun game so the um so Brian, the, you know, it hard that our director for Spider-Man was a big Daredevil fan. And he was, mm-hmm. he had this concept of Peter Parker and he's like, you know, Peter, he's a little bit older in this game. He's kind of, you know, he's almost like a disgruntled superhero, you know, he's a little, he's, he's aged up a little bit. He's a little bit more edgy. And like, he had this whole idea that he wanted to make Spider-Man kind of like a darker character, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, Daredevil, you know? And like, we had this like whole concept and then, we started i think he started talking to marvel about it and marvel's like well, you want to do what to spider-man like <laughs> you're crazy you know what i mean so not that they want us like completely get rid of it but like it was funny how it started off i originally got hired because they were looking for kind of a darker mm-hmm. less spider-man type sound but we ended up kind of in the spider-man universe for sure um you know but there's definitely you know i mean like a little bit of i think a little bit of that you know, oh, DNA yeah. made it into it to a degree. It's not as, you know, bright and shiny as like, you know, Michael's stuff for the film, like his, his Spider-Man stuff's really cool, but it's mm-hmm. definitely like, a, it's more fun. You know what I mean? Like my stuff's right. more, my stuff's dramatic. Well, and uh, that Spider-Man's I, younger than this one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? And so there's just like more of a, like, I think the video game score has just more drama to it. It's just a little bit more, you know, it's, it's not as, it's not as tongue in cheek. Uh, there's there, we have moments where it's fun, but um, for the most part, it's, I think it's got a little bit more, it leans a little bit, a little bit more into the drama than I think some of the other iterations was Danny Elfman's was very dramatic. I remember his being kind uh-huh. of like very dramatic too. And I mean, yeah, there's there's just been great scores for Spider-Man. And I mean, Marvel in general, you know, it's funny. Marvel, people always used to bag on Marvel. I remember being about like, I remember it was like, oh, they don't have any themes. I always think like, I'm like, God, Marvel's got, I think like some of the stronger themes out there, which is interesting. Yeah. How well, and it's improved yeah. a lot. It's improved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe like the old days, but I mean, Sylvester's, it's funny. One of the projects oh, yeah. I worked on over the summers, I did all the music for the Avengers campus at Disneyland. Oh, did oh, you? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. Like it made me really appreciate like all of those scores, you know, like oh. Ant-Man and Chris. Oh, Christoph, stuff. Like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, listen, like Guardians, great stuff. I mean, but you really, and Spider-Man and it was funny, like doing, doing, working on that project and then working with like Giacchino stuff, I'd be like halfway through like a motif and all of a sudden I'd be writing my Spider-Man thing and being like, oh shit, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it was, but it, it really made me like appreciate how, great you know some of those scenes i mean you know alan silvestri's tougher avengers is just incredible oh, yeah. and, and he's like a hero of mine so um 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they have a, they have definitely like have a rich musical history when it comes to scores and, and stuff. So um, it's, it's been a, like a, a blast to just be able to kind of, I mean, listen, like we all grew up on this stuff, you know what I mean? Right. So it's so fun to like work on these properties and, you know, you're like a little kid reading this stuff when, when, when I was younger, you know, so I've always, uh, it's definitely a dream gig for sure. Two little random questions that yeah. um, only um, a very small portion of our listeners will appreciate, <laughs> but I think they'll appreciate it so much that they're worth asking. Um, one, did you ever find yourself consulting the the music from the 90s animated Spider-Man series as you were kind of no, thinking through ideas? Not really, but I do know that stuff. Um you know, honestly, with Spider-Man, it was so hard. It's so easy to listen to something like when you're working on a project, like consult stuff like that. And then you just end up. There was one I remember I did. I did one suite. I would have to ask Scott Hanna, who is kind of like my creative lead over at Sony. And he's probably got better stories about it. But there are times definitely where like I would write a cue and all of a sudden he'd be like, y- y- this is Michael's stuff from... <laughs> spider-man you know and i'd be like what really like i'd be like no way you know and like too too much consulting can mess you up probably. yeah and honestly there's it's a language you know what i mean like it's mm. like when you're writing for comic book stuff like this there's a the audience is kind of expecting something and i and i'm always like i always feel like i'm an audience member before i'm even a composer you know so like mm-hmm there's just an inherent sound that kind of comes along with these properties and it's really hard to really upend it, you know what I mean? And say like, hey, I'm gonna, I mean, those like Joker is incredible because they kind of took something and they said, you know what, we're gonna like totally turn this thing on its head and, and make it mm-hmm. something completely new. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a different animal obviously than Spider-Man, but right. but but still like you can do it, you know, but it's a bold move to do it. And I don't think PlayStation was in the business of like us trying to completely reinvent the wheel, but they definitely wanted, it's easier to almost make it your own by reinventing the wheel than it is to make it your own, but kind of staying within the realm of, of right. where we are with the superhero music. So um, I think that's what makes the job. And listen, I'm working on Spider-Man two right now. Oh, oh I'm it's, so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> it's harder. It's harder. I don't think I spoiled anything. I think they've announced it. Email um, me the files, please. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But it's harder. It's harder. Like, <laughs> like reinventing your own stuff you know what i mean like i gotta yeah. like you know because you can you don't just want to regurgitate what you did for the first game too you know what i mean right there's, there's new characters and new things going on in it so there's definitely opportunities to do a lot of new stuff but at the same time too it's like you can't just like every time peter's swinging around the city you can't just like fall into like you know there's so much traversal music in these games where you're, yeah. uh-huh. there's, you spend so much time swinging around that you can't just like be blasting people again with like what you did on Spider-Man one, cause it will just kind of right. feel. So, you know, it's a challenge to try to like reinvent this stuff. Constantly. Well, and that's actually a perfect transition into miles because that was a similar game, but you, you mm-hmm. didn't have to reinvent it, but you had to come up with a new set of themes for miles. And I thought you did an incredible job with that too.
Yeah. Like, how did mm-hmm. you intentionally make that one different? I know the beats, right? Like the lo-fi hip hop beats make, make that soundtrack so incredible. But also as a side note, it's the first game I remember with on PlayStation five that didn't have load times. So yeah. the music fits perfectly into that though, because like yeah. out of one scene, you go right into the next scene and you'll drop that beat and it just right. it yeah. flows so seamlessly. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a lot of credit to the guys who, like, that's the one thing we were talking about, the process between writing music for, for film and, and episodic material versus writing for video games. There's such an interactive component to it that I have honestly nothing really to do with. But, like, it's amazing how the guys over at Insomniac and Sony will take, you know, we create music in a very technical way that allow, I call it like vertical, you know, you think vertically versus horizontally when you write video game music. So you're able to, you know, give them the material they need in order to, you know, like, think about it. Like how many hours do you play Spider-Man for? It's like, it's like 40. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 40, 50 hours, you know, playing right. that game. And like, and then you're doing like all the stuff after you play the golden path, right. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, so like they need to take this music that we, like listen i wish they hired me to write you know 700 minutes of music but they Uh don't you know like i mean they it's still we're still creating like 300 minutes of music but they still have to like take that amount of music and they have to stretch it out over long periods of time and it's they do such a good job on spider-man of like making it feel like it's not just looping all the time you know what i mean like so it's very dynamic and like so we we work really hard on trying to compose vertically and like we have like little tricks to try to figure out a way where they can take a 10 minute long piece of music and stretch it out and give it variety over a 30 minute gameplay, you know? So, um, but they just do a really, really good job. And I think with PlayStation five and kind of how you lose loading times and, you know, it creatively, it just keeps opening up the world to even being a smoother and more of a cinematic experience, but it definitely makes it, you know, it's like one more thing we have to kind of, you know, be conscious about because sometimes you would be able to use some of those loading times to kind of reset your audience a little bit to get into yeah. something. But now it's just like one continuous run, you know what I mean? So, um, which is great for the great for the player, but as a composer <laughs> and for the technical side of it, it just gives us like another, you know, and the technology is always moving faster than the kind of like the production process. So we're mm-hmm. we're constantly trying to like find ways to like, maintain a musical approach but at the same time like dealing with the fact that there's a player on the other end of the controller you know moving left or moving right or deciding Mm -hmm. whether to go down this path or deciding whether to go down that path and and how is the music gonna you know move with them and be a cinematic and they do a great job it's almost like the player is controlling the music because it's never you know, mm. the, the player, if the player does one thing, another thing will kick in. And it's almost like, oh, wait, I've never even, I was playing the game and I was like, is this one of my cues? And I'd be like, oh yeah, it <laughs> is. But like, I didn't, I didn't have this trumpet line with this section, but shit, it works. You know what I mean? So like, you kind of <laughs> That's like, cool. it's, yeah, it's amazing. Like, so when you're like, when you're playing the game as a player, you probably don't realize this, but you're basically creating that score by what you're doing on screen, you know? So um, they do a really, they really, and we have to like work hard on making sure that our music, so you could lift a trumpet line and plop it into a middle of a section and say like, okay, this is going to work. You know, we're very conscious of tempos, very conscious mm-hmm. of key, relative major and minors, making sure things play nice with each other on some of these long mm. traversal suites. And there's a lot of like planning and, and thought that goes into it. Now, when you're writing for film, it's just linear. You know what I mean? Like you're just, right. you know, right. you know, the scene's going to start here, you know, it's going to end there and you got to hit A, B, C, and D. But when you're writing for, for games, 
you just don't know what's going to happen. And so you kind of have to have a lot of different approaches to deal with that. Well, my, my uh, other niche question uh, that I was going to ask fits perfectly here uh, talking about, you're talking about kind of reinventing the wheel and, and changing things up from Spider-Man game to Spider-Man game. Um, this is going to sound so silly, but I, I find myself curious when they changed uh, the, the look of Peter Parker in mm-hmm. the remaster version and in the Miles Morales game, um, you know, that was kind of a big cause, yeah. a big stir in the fan community. Was that something sure. that um, was sort of weird for, for you as you were kind of like, had you grown to associate these you know it's funny you remember I mean, like remember how we talked about like how i'm writing on these things with that visually like almost not even seeing some of them sometimes it's like yeah i was like so that to a degree kind of i wasn't as influenced by it as much as maybe i probably would have been if it was a film situation you know what i mean mm-hmm. like if it's a film situation and i was working on you know i got through my themes and my made ideas and then i was like applying it to the film, it probably would have definitely jolted me a little bit more, but because I was so story-based and I was so mm-hmm. working from it kind of from like a sweet standpoint in the very beginning, um, we do like, so games are kind of broken up into, you have gameplay and then you have cinematics and the cinematics are more traditional. They're more kind of like cutscenes, you know what I mean? Right. Where you, where you kind of like go into like, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely blurring the line now with next gen stuff, but it definitely like you would definitely like go from playing and then all of a sudden you're kind of like in Peter's apartment and it seems like you're sure. watching a film. You know what I mean? So like that with sense. that, with that type of stuff, um, there definitely was like a little bit of an adjustment to it, but here's the thing too, like, you know, everyone, I know everyone thought it was like, Oh, this is like modeled after Tom Holland, but it really wasn't. I think it was modeled after Yuri, the guy who plays. Right. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like, I kind of like knew it going into it. Like that was the case. Um, they just mm. happened to look very similar to each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely remember like when that happened and when it went down, but I was kind of, I was a little bit, I wasn't as in the weeds with it as maybe some of the fan base was. So that makes sense. John, let me get you out here with these three things. Rapid fire. Okay. Three comments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like between Daredevil, Miles Morales and Spider-Man PS4, the John Pizzino sound that you're a king of right now is these fast arpeggiated strings with the slow yeah. epic horns. And it's yeah. my favorite thing ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. I think it's always been like, I've always been a huge Hans Zimmer fan. Um, you know, I've also been a, like a big John Williams fan and James Newton Howard. I was, I was so listening really? to like, you know, I was listening to film scores before I was even doing this. You know what I mean? So I've always been a film score junkie since I was a little kid. I mean, I saw the movie Empire of the Sun when I was nine years old and I was like, boom, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I basically like reverse engineered my way into this business. But um, yeah, That's I awesome. think so. There's something about fast moving lines over slow. I did it for Maze Runner too. I, I did like and that's why I love scores like Interstellar and and oh, you know like man. Hans does such a great job of like creating that epicness without it being sleepy. You know what I mean? Like there's always mm-hmm. just like a, a perpetual kind of motion going on, um, and it just lends itself really well, I think, to these properties that I'm that I'm kind of working on. You know, I mean, listen, I also love like Tom Newman's like one of my favorite composers of all time, and it's like the exact opposite style you know what i mean so there's definitely uh there's definitely a lot of like a lot of the dna of i always find like a lot of my influences just like probably many artists like 
you can hear all of it in a lot of the music that I do. It's just, it's, it's almost impossible for it not to, you know, hear those influences um, in the music. But I, I would say that's a safe observation for sure. Secondly, I'm here in Nashville. And did I see that some of the stuff you record is at Ocean Way in Nashville? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. We did a bunch Let's of stuff go. for Spider-Man. We did uh, Mass Effect. We did, I think we did all of Mass Effect uh, Andromeda in Nashville. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did. If you're scoring Spider-Man 2 in Nashville, please text me. Like, I, I how will, for sure. Ocean <laughs> Way and watch it. A hundred percent. I will definitely. Oh. Yeah, I, I went to Belmont. So, so oh, nice. I know. Yeah, and so yeah. We have classes in Ocean Way back in the day, yeah, yeah. like 10 years yeah. ago. So it's really cool for me to see that on video. Uh, and I th the third thing is, what do I need to do? What strings do I need to pull to get John Pizzino composing an MCU film? Like, how do Preferably I? a Daredevil one. Hey, listen, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm ready. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> I just, it's, it's up to the, the, the Marvel gods, you know? I'll talk to Kevin. Um, yeah, please. No, no. I mean, I, I, you know, I would love to, I think, you know, they, it's a, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the directors that come into these films kind of have their teams together. And so you kind of always have to wait for that opportunity to where somebody comes in and they're, they want to, you know, they want to try something new or, 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 you know, like they're, they're fans of, of stuff we did in the past and stuff, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, um, I'm, I'm waiting for that call just as much as you are. <laughs> You're on the friends from work radar. That's for okay. Sure. Good. Good, for, good. Yes. And, and good. in the meantime, um, what, you know, I, I know you're working on the Spider-Man two game. Is there, what, what projects do you have going currently or things that are going to be releasing soon that folks can be on the lookout for? Yeah, I'm doing, I just, I'm right now I'm working on uh, a second diary of a wimpy kid. I'm working on night at the museum for oh, Disney, nice. which is an animated film um mm -hmm. so yeah i mean and then there's there's some other things that i can't really talk about because i'm under <laughs> but yeah no there's some some big big projects in store as well too that I'm, you'll be able to hear about soon so yeah no there's a lot of stuff we're busy yeah, well that makes us happy and it makes our our listeners happy because we've yeah. got a lot of Jonathan <laughs> fans and the uh, friends from work crew nice nice thanks so much john we seriously can't wait to see what you have in store we are massive fans and we appreciate your your time here on this podcast no, thank you had a blast. Man, I could not have been more happy with that conversation. <laughs> John was so fun to talk to. And it's just, we talk about this all the time, and I don't want it to sound like we're, we're disingenuous just because we say it all the time, but I feel like we've been really blessed with the, the kind of folks that, that have come onto the show and how passionate they are and how much they just enjoy talking about the the work and the stories and, the, and and they really care about the characters. I love that he's a gamer himself too. That's a fun tidbit. I know. What would that be like to be well, playing through Spider-Man being like, oh, that's my music. <laughs> that's pretty fun. Right. I also, I, I thought about this uh, and I didn't want to bring it up lest we kind of force him into spoilery territory, but he talked about how he was hired to do the Spider-Man game in large part because of what he brought to Daredevil, which is a pretty, you know, like a dramatic, dark, kind of mysterious, broody score uh, that, by the way, really sets the tone for that show. And he came over and, and says he initially tried that, and then they went with something obviously kind of more triumphant and, and Spider-Man-y. But I, I wonder, you know, folks that are keeping track of the Spider-Man game story, I feel like 
we're in. Well, and they've actually said this, right? The developers have said the second mm. game is going to be a good bit darker than mm-hmm. the first one. So I, I kept wondering, like, I, I wonder if he's going to be able to bring back some of that stuff that he had initially brought to the table however many years ago for the first game. Yeah. You know, I think it's only a matter of time. I'm not kidding till he's going to be involved in the MCU in some way, like whether it's daredevil season four or daredevil in a movie or dude, it's only a matter of time. It's going to happen. Now I want to hear the, go to the Avengers campus and uh, hear his remixes of all these MCU themes, which we will dope. Friends from work is still going to do a live episode from the Avengers campus at some point in our lives. It's going to happen. And then the last thing I need to say about John off air, there might be a fun little connection going here. Uh, I don't know. Just, just stay tuned. We talked about a few fun things off air with him too. So I'm really excited about that. (laughs) If you want to hear John's work and you don't play video games, check out daredevil all three seasons on Spotify. And as Robbie said, check out the defenders soundtrack on Spotify. The show itself isn't unbelievable, but the music's pretty dope. You're going to like it. It is. And I think it's time to get well-versed in John's music because, like I said, I think it's coming to the MCU. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on social media at the FFW Podcast. Reach out to us on there. We try to do our best to respond to all comments and questions, and we love hearing from you guys. But you can also check out our website, the FFWpodcast.com. On that website are a bunch of important links to our merch shop, to a donate section if you want to donate to the podcast, but also to join our Slack or to join Friends From Work Plus if you want even more goodness of Friends From Work in your life. So if you are intrigued by this to watch Daredevil and you haven't yet and you want to hear our coverage, that's on Friends From Work Plus as well as all the movie club stuff that we've talked about with Kyle as well as a bunch of comics episodes including uh, some Daredevil stuff and coming soon some Moon Knight stuff. So I think we're between everything, uh, running the gamut here. And as we said, the ramp up has officially begun and we want you guys on board. Spread the word about friends from work to your friends and get everybody ready because next week we have a preview of Moon Knight coming and then the following week we are diving headfirst into weekly coverage of that show as well as Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It's going to be quite the ride, and we can't wait to do it with all of you out there. And so thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on Friends From Work. Friends From Work.